Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hello and welcome to the Spike Podcast. I'm Fraser Myers and with us this week we've got Freddie Gray. Deputy Editor of Spectator, welcome. How are you doing? Delighted to be here, Fraser, yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. And as usual, Tom Slater, of course, editor of Spiked. Coming up on today's show, the FBI raid on Donald Trump, the downfall of Alex Jones, and the crazy scale of campus censorship. So, former President Donald Trump's Florida mansion was raided this week by the FBI. I mean, this is extraordinary and unprecedented, you could say, Freddie. Could could you give us some of the details about what's happened? It's an amazingly weird story. Uh, I can't quite come to terms with it, actually, Mm. Um, because, well, the the way it broke was Donald Trump releasing a statement on Monday night saying, the FBI have raided my home, they've cracked my safe. Yeah. And essentially, you know, the story, which is true, that the FBI did do it, it, it definitely happened, uh, is the most amazing validation of everything that Trump says. This is not to say that what Trump says is necessarily true, yeah. but they are doing, the FBI seem to be doing exactly what he's always said happens, which mm. is the deep state, the big institutions of America will do anything to stop him running again. The reason they did the search, the putative reason for the search, uh, was that they were looking for uh, some presidential records that Trump had apparently withheld or possibly hid mm. Uh, we have no idea, idea whether they found anything. It all adds up to this sense that they are just desperate to find something. And what I found very odd was sort of just looking at the reactions to it. There was a Bloomberg piece very quickly saying, this is an Al Capone moment. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter if what we get him on is just a stupid technical thing. We're <laughs> going to get him. Yeah. And that is the way people who hate Trump in America think. They think he's so vile that we've got to do anything to stop him. It doesn't matter how shady or dodgy it is what we're doing. So if that's the case, mm. I think it may be even weirder than that. It may be possible that the FBI actually do know something and that they're going after something on the tax records. There's a lot of tax record stuff going on this week. Yeah. Separate case, but the FBI may be involved. It's just the get Trump thing. And the get Trump thing has been going on for six years, and it's exhausting. But it always ends up helping him. Yeah. It, and it gives him this amazing launch pad, mm. uh, this for 2024. perfect opportunity for his 2024 campaign, which is what he's been looking for. And it, and it, it in a way it sort of exonerates him of, of of January sixth. I know that's a crazy thing to say because I think he behaved very badly after the election. I thought it was you know even if you think the election was stolen, I think you have to accept the result. But now he can say, well, yes, of course, these guys are. I am taking on the deep state. Yeah. And he released an advert, a video, a, a, a within hours, very polished video, saying you know the country is falling apart. I'm going to make it better. And Tom, I mean, obviously no one is above the law or anything like that, but there's always going to be this suspicion when, you know, someone like Trump, who we know is so hated, um, is targeted in this way. Mm. No, and, you know, I was amazed at the lack of scepticism or at least kind of concern on the part of the liberal intelligentsia, kind of liberal media. I mean, I wasn't amazed, really. I mean, they have learned to (laughs) love... They've got form. (laughs) They have got form. They've learned to love the security services. They've, um, you know, former spooks have become household names and regulars on MSNBC and CNN and all the rest of it over this time. Um, And what I was really struck by is because this obviously has the potential to represent, if it is even just some form of overreach, a Mm. real significant intervention in the political process. And yet you've got card-carrying liberals who are 
amazingly relaxed about it. And the argument is essentially they wouldn't do this if they didn't have the goods. Yeah. So you almost you just have to kind of take their word for it as you know, we're expected to take their word for it on Russiagate or any of these other incredible interventions of the FBI and the American state in democratic politics, effectively. And I think Freddie's exactly right. Whatever the kind of details of this particular case, it's undeniable that there has been like a protracted campaign to mm. just get Trump by any means necessary. I mean, the New York Times was reporting in April that Biden himself was telling confidants that Trump is a threat to democracy and he yeah. has to be put in jail essentially. So to deny that there is, if, if nothing else, this pressure exists, I think yeah. is absolutely ridiculous. And as Freddie says, it's um, only going to have the complete opposite impact as everything that the kind of liberal establishment and corporate media of the US do. It always <laughs> backfires on them, as I'm sure it will in this case as well. They, they, they always seem to be overreaching. I mean, yeah, Freddie, what do you make of this argument? You know, it's it's the FBI, we can trust them. It's Merrick Garland, he's really, you know, straight-laced and above board. They would never dream of doing something um, political in this way. Well, it's, it's madness, obviously. And then and then a lot of people are saying, you know, uh, well, if... If it's anti-Trump, if it's it's sort of prejudiced, then why is it carried out by the FBI, who's headed by a Trump appointee? So, but Christopher Ray is notoriously, uh, a, you know, a kind of Bush-era person. Who I actually spoke to a, a Trump guy who was in London uh, yesterday, and he said, uh, "Oh, he's he Trump hates him, and they hate mm. each other." So I don't think that stands up. Although, I mean, if it were to be an FBI conspiracy to help Trump, it couldn't have been much better. Mm. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, the, that's the weirdest thing about it. Um, and then I think also what, what the, the, the sort of real upshot of it is that American democracy is decaying yeah. very, very rapidly before our eyes. Yeah. And this looks like a banana republic type of mm. type situation. And what's worse than that, it's also the way the Republicans respond. So the Republicans, Kevin McCarthy, the House Minority Leader, mm. says, uh, we're coming after Merrick Garland. Yeah. Once we get in in November... You know, clear your calendar, Merrick Garland, and all the pubs are like, "Yeah, we're coming for them." Yeah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then, and it's like so juvenile. Yeah, but also that's dangerous. Democracy well. then that's becomes democracy. Then becomes like we get in power, we we use the Justice Department mm. to yeah. attack you, or we attack the Justice Department if we think it's corrupt. And so, power is basically just handed over, and then becomes a sort of sledgehammer to arrest or imprison or prosecute the other side. Yeah, I mean, so we, we're sort of losing the kind of peaceful balance of power. We're losing, you know, the last two elections, at least the loser's consent yeah. in America with yeah. both sides denying that the other side won. I mean, this is very dangerous. But I think, as you say, it speaks to the hypocrisy mm. as well, because of course, Trumpists really don't have the moral high ground yeah. when it comes to not trying to, at least in a kind of theatrical sense, pursue your enemies via kind of legalistic means. You know, yeah. the last time all of these discussions were going on about whether or not mishandling classified documents might bar you from public office was in relation to Hillary Clinton. You know, there was a lot of discussion about that ahead of her race in 2016 because of her emails. But what you see time and again is effectively you have one side, the Trumpist side, kind of being quite almost like performatively anti-democratic, a bit authoritarian. Um, and then the Democrats kind of showing them how it's done. Yeah. And like that's the kind of sense that we get here. They're just much better at it. Um, and similarly, there's been a lot of discussion in recent years about uh, January 6th, of course, and the sense in which Trump has not only tried to scupper democracy, but he's also done so by, you know, peddling these batshit conspiracy theories, mm. all of which is largely true. But at the same time, as you say, Hillary Clinton has never really properly conceded the 2016 yeah. election. She does think that if it wasn't for those pesky Russians, she would have 
won it. And so both sides of American politics in many respects are kind of mired in conspiratorial thinking, <laughs> um, are very willing to at least attempt to use the justice system as a means to kind of exact the political ends. It's just one side are much more effective at it. Yeah, It might still backfire, but I think that's the sort of picture that we're seeing at the moment. Well, that's also this sort of whataboutery thing. Like, yeah. the, so if you say... Well, I mean, Clinton never had her houses raided. Yeah. If you put that out on Twitter or something, mm. people go, that's just whataboutery. Whataboutery sometimes is right, yeah. right? Yeah. particularly yeah. in the yeah. injustice, because justice is supposed to be fair and equally applied. Mm. And I mean, it's it it's just true that the Clintons never would have had their houses raided over over such a very minor thing. Yeah, or what we know, or what we or think is a minor thing. What we think is a minor thing, true, yeah. Yeah, and, and Freddie, it'd be remiss of me to not ask, is he definitely going to run? Well, so this the, the the Trump person I saw yesterday uh, said he said which, which is what a lot of other people have been quoting the press saying said if there was any doubt in his mind before Monday, yeah, it's made up now, and mm. so it's become the sort of you know this is the moment where he goes I have to run, yeah, and also because I mean he may have to run because if he doesn't run <laughs> he'll be in jail, he's got to pardon himself, so yeah, yeah. To, exactly. Um, so <laughs> I think I and that's another conspiracy theory that goes with it, which may have some truth to it that some Democrats are keen to goad Trump into a run. Right. Uh, because they think that's the, with the midterms coming up, which they're widely expected to lose, mm. uh, that is their way of drumming up the, the 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 blue vote to stop a red wave. Because I suppose while Trump is still very popular with the Republicans, he's quite divisive in the country. I mean, he lost the last election. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean 50%, 50% of, uh, I think, independent voters mm. uh, think that his behaviour around January 6th was criminal. Mm. And that's a, that is a problem. Trumpists can deny it as much as they like. That is a problem yeah. for winning a, an election. But I still think if he were to run as a, as a presidential candidate against Joe Biden, I think I, I would put my money on Trump, actually. We- Unless they rig it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a joke. <laughs> this is a perfect Not place, really. actually, to come on to Alex Jones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're talking a bit about conspiracy theories of um, the Trumpist kind, the, the Clintonite kind. Um, really, you know, the kind of ultimate conspiracy theorist of our age is, is Alex Jones. Uh, and he suffered a pretty humiliating defeat uh, in court last week. He's been ordered to pay nearly $50 million to one of the families of, or, one of the, or the parents of one of the victims of the Sandy Hook massacre, which Jones infamously declared a false flag attack, a kind of you know government attempt to G up support for gun control laws. I mean, Tom, what do you make of the way that Alex Jones is kind of held up as this, almost like this, the, the person who invented lying and disinformation mm. in American politics. No, he's become very significant, not least over the Trump era, when mm. there was a very kind of active attempt, partly on his part, but also on the liberal media's part, to connect the two, to paint them as kind of part of the same movement, all the rest of it. And was also one of the kind of early victims of big tech censorship. So yeah. he got kicked off of all of the main platforms in 2017, I think. He was kind 18. of- 18. One of a uh, kind of s- string of high profile people who increasingly got kicked off. It was mm-hmm. funny, back in those days, they made a point of saying it wasn't about conspiracy theories, it was about hate speech. Yeah. Now conspiracy theories can definitely get you kicked off as well. Um, and it's he's really become the kind of centre of the sort of post-truth panic, if you will, which has been quite alarming as far as it's justified all kinds of quite Orwellian censorship, which is, a, which is a bad idea anyway. I mean, I think censorship is far more dangerous than any conspiracy theory, and it also has a habit of fueling <laughs> conspiracy yeah. theory, so it's, it's not a good idea. But I think it's also allowed the kind of mainstream establishment off the hook, really, mm. in terms of mainstreaming a kind of slightly jaundiced conspiratorial view of the world. You know, one of the famous things that Jones will return to is kind of <laughs> one of these 
classic conspiracy theory tropes, which is satanic paedophiles. They're not yeah. just Satanists, they're not just paedophiles, they're satanic paedophiles. Sometimes they're interdimensional. Sometimes um, globalists, even even more disgusting. <laughs> even more horrendous. Slur. And, you know, that was a pretty mainstream yeah. panic back in the 1980s in America as well as Britain. Um, so there's this attempt to kind of just isolate him and treat mm. him as if he's the only problem, um, as well as, as a means to kind of a rolling of the pitch, if you like, for more and more extensive censorship. It's not to defend what he did in this particular instance, you know, calling Sandy Hook a false flag and stuff is very disgusting, etc. But it's quite clear that he's been set up as, um, not in this trial, but he's been held up, shall we say, yeah. as all that's wrong with the world. And I think that's um, been, is both wrong and quite dangerous in terms of the consequences of it. I mean, Freddie, Tom alluded to this kind of connection between Alex Jones and, you know, the Trump movement. Mm. And, you know, Alex Jones was even at January 6th and things like that. Mm. I mean, what, what do you make of that connection? Does it speak to that kind of broader conspiratorial Well, if in your thinking? darker moments you do think perhaps the world is run by satanic paedophiles, you would think that the last few weeks they've been on a bit of a roll, <laughs> the satanic people. Because, because you know, the, the Trump FBI raid, the Alex Jones thing, Steve Bannon's mm. uh, oh, yeah. uh, prosecution, which is, I mean, extraordinary. I, I think every lawyer in America who's not insanely anti-Trump uh, or anti-Steve Bannon thinks that this is trumped up and ridiculous. Mm. So you've got, you know, Steve Bannon famously says it's not the deep, state is the in-your-face state. Well, they are, <laughs> they are getting in the face of yeah. the, the Trump movement or, or just the sort of wacky media world around Trump. And as Tom says, with Alex Jones, the Sandy Hook stuff was obviously insane. And I think it's right that the parents should be able to sue. And if they win the case, fair enough. What I find weird is like the sort of, it's not enough. We've got to completely mm. destroy yeah. him. Perjury. Yeah. Let's put him in jail forever. Mm. Alex Jones is, is a comedian. Yeah. Yeah, He's yeah. not even a sort of it's not real journalism. And, and also everybody assumes that, I mean, it's true that in the post-truth world that, that people do sort of ride between believing it and not believing it at the mm. same time. And it's a bit dangerous that we don't believe in truth. But this applies to everything now, not yeah, just Alex yeah. Jones. And Alex Jones is almost better than a lot of media because it's so obviously absurd. Mm. And you can just go, oh, he's just going off on one. Yeah. Whereas if you watch Morning Joe or MSNBC, you, you, you're supposed to take everything they say very seriously, even though often it's as ridiculous, I would mm. say, and has a well, much quite and has a much kind of bigger impact, you know, yeah. because yeah, policy yeah. is formed around that because it, police investigations are launched in relation to that. If you think about, you know, the UK and the VIP paedophile yeah. scandal, this complete mm. nonsense fabricated by this fantasist and pe convicted paedophile that turned out himself. This was peddled by the likes of James O'Brien, the respectable media. They leapt mm. on it; they didn't challenge it whatsoever. Tom Watson, the deputy Labour leader, mm. exactly. No one was ever really held to account for that, as it turns out. But also. Um, it had a real tangible consequence. You know, people mm. were had their names dragged through the mud. They were subjected to all these trials. A lot of the men accused in that kind of died whilst awaiting their, their fate and all the rest of it. You know, uh, so, someone who watches Alex Jones takes it a bit too seriously and maybe, you know, shows up at a pizza restaurant or whatever, that does happen and that is condemnable. But at the same mm. time, in terms of its real impact on, on life and society, these mainstream kind of acceptable Martha's Vineyard version of conspiracy thinking are much more dangerous, definitely. I've got, I've got an Alex Jones story, oh, if I may share please. it. Please. I sat next to him once at a dinner. Don't ask me why. <laughs> uh, and uh, the fan club. <laughs> and I was, and I was talking, obviously I knew who he was and I was talking to him and he was, he had a completely different voice. He was being quite normal. Mm. 
And then I said French something. Or something. <laughs> 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 so nice to meet you. Uh, no, and so we were just talking. Then I asked him a question. That I think he th- he suddenly thought, oh, God, I'm talking to a journalist. Yeah. And then he suddenly went, well, the elites are terrified. because, And he changed character. Yeah. He just put, so it's an act. It's a mm, shtick. Mm. And um, I'm sorry to have exposed him, but everybody knows this, right? Yeah. But it's, mm. it's, it's a performance routine because yeah. he's like a clown. You mean you don't believe that the chemicals in the water are turning the frogs gay or <laughs> don't the, think the that US he actually government thinks that. is Obviously, I think the you know, manipulating the weather. So, the the, the reason there's a water shortage <laughs> is because we all know that we're, the frogs are turning gay. Yeah. Um, Coincided with monkeypox. So uh, yeah. so, um, I'm just asking s- questions. Here. Have you seen the country music uh, clip that no, somebody has turned yes. Alec Jones's rants into a country music song? Brilliant. And it's, it's one of the funniest things I've seen. I recommend you. Watch people watching should look it up. You got a favourite song, Alex Jones moment? I think you've stolen the you know the waters turn the frogs gay. You yeah. can't really get much better than that. Him talking about eating his neighbours. That's a good one. That was good as well. You're watching the Spikes podcast. While you're here, you should subscribe to our YouTube channel and click the bell so you never miss a video. But even better, to keep up with all of Spike's content, all of our brilliant articles and essays that we publish every weekday, you should sign up to our newsletter today on Spiked. Every weekday, you'll get a roundup of all of Spike's content, plus some exclusive commentary. To sign up, just go to spiked-online.com forward slash newsletters and click today on Spiked. That's spiked-online.com forward slash newsletters and today on Spiked. Now back to the Spiked podcast. So returning to a familiar theme on the Spiked podcast, uh, Times investigation has revealed or restated, I should say, the shocking scale of censorship on British campuses. They found that several universities have been pulling books from courses, books that are possibly too challenging for students, not in a kind of mental way, but in a sort of emotionally challenging way. And they've slapped over a thousand trigger warnings on classic texts, including Chaucer and Shakespeare. Tom, what have you made of this latest revelation? You know, it tells us what we already know, which is that universities have been going down this road for a very long time. And it was reading this and you were kind of struck by, I just don't know if there's any way back for a lot of these Mm. universities, certainly a lot of the kind of humanities courses and the arts courses and whatever. They're so steeped in this stuff. Now, there was a lot of people who were trying to kind of naysay this particular investigation, people yeah. focusing on the fact that I think they found it's like 10 universities had either dropped or made books optional yeah. um, because that they were in some ways upsetting and people saying that's nothing, you know, very easily ignoring the thousand trigger warning yeah. texts that everyone had found and all the rest of it and attempt to downplay it. But, you know, you can find cases like this in the news going back the last five years, and they're 10 a penny, really. Mm. And also, there's the fact that they're often ridiculous never even stops them being applied. You know, yeah. like some of them, I think it was Nottingham Trent said that fre- people studying French didn't have to look at Charlie Hebdo because it was mm. racist. That's kind of par for the course. But, you know, Aberdeen said that a Midsummer Night's Dream was classist and yeah. it had a trigger warning to that effect. I think the <laughs> same university said Chaucer could be quite emotionally challenging. Mm. And then Greenwich had a trigger warning on 1984, which is kind of funny in itself, but specifically for suicide and animal cruelty, <laughs> which again is absolutely absurd. So, But they, they just don't see the problem with it. They yeah. don't see that it's absurd. And as with the other Times investigation we saw this week about UCU members effectively kind of trying that's the, to... That's the University Lecturers Union. Exactly, in, mm. in, in Britain, effectively trying to cook up ways to kind of out and oust gender-critical mm. people in their HR departments, all this stuff. It really is... Endemic. I'm just amazed that there's people who are still trying to naysay this, yeah. you know, to pretend that it's not going on. 
And it's just utterly unconvincing at this point. The reason that you don't think it's a problem is because you're basically in favour of it. Mm. That's essentially why so many of these academics are naysaying it now. Because you, how long can you ignore the evidence of your own eyes, let alone a Times investigation? There's, there's two things that seem particularly extraordinary at this at this kind of juncture. One is that you know the government has made so many pointed interventions in this, and, and it's still going on. Mm. And, and the legal other, interventions, and legal, say, legal yeah. interventions. You know the the higher education free speech bill. There's also the fact that a lot of the things going on are being instigated. It seems by the lecturers' union or by you know the people who are in charge of the syllabus and things like that. This is not necessarily the blue fringe, non-binary student, the mm. snowflake 18-year-old that we've got so used to ridiculing. This is just part of the structure now. You expect students to be a bit crazy yeah. in, in a kind of woke direction. But as you say, this is the institutions. And the, the, I mean, it, it reminds me of a long time ago, maybe eight, nine years ago now, uh, the great Brendan O'Neill has spiked and I went to some Cambridge debate. It wasn't the union, it was some college, King's College politics debating thing and we got talking to some students afterwards and we were both on the way back we were both these guys were really like their minds were so weird yeah and so we, and then out, <laughs> out of that out of that came this spectator cover which is one of my favorite ever spectator mm. covers which was it was called the stepford students yeah and it was them with their sort of weird eyes before the eyes were a meme I mm. <laughs> and it was a really good cover because it was you know about this sort of strange phenomenon and then of course what's i just couldn't have imagined how it never stopped, and it, mm. it, and and of course they've obviously now they've graduated. They're in jobs. Yeah. They're in corporations. These guys, and they, the, they don't change to fit the world. Yeah. The world changes to fit them, mm. and that's what's happening in the universities now. Is that the universities are anticipating their reactions yeah. long before mm. they even have them, mm. and I think for a lot of students, it's very bamboozling. And Tom, I mean, to, going back to this uh, university colleges union mm. um, example, where essentially you know you have union representatives looking to root out gender critical feminists. I mean, why do you think that issue in particular has become so heated? Because it seems to be in terms of the academics that are being mm. hounded in terms of the, or, and certainly in the UCU's case, you'd think they'd want to protect those people, but they'd want to go after them or are silent in the face of this kind of persecution. Mm -hmm. What is it about trans that has sort of taken over this debate? I mean, it's a million dollar question. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's one of those things where you have an absurd orthodoxy mm. that thinks biological sex doesn't exist and that thinks that anyone who believes that, you know, someone who's six foot four and has five o'clock shadow should, shouldn't be allowed to compete in women's swimming events or whatever is a horrendous bigot. You've had that coalesce itself in these yeah. institutions over an incredibly short period. Mm. And as a consequence of that, even people who are not by particularly within a university kind of sphere, natural kind of heretics or heterodox people have found themselves caught up in it. How that happened, I have absolutely no idea. But it's it's a really telling example of what the climate is like on universities at the moment and why it's so messed up. Because on the one hand, you see something like the trigger warning story and you think this is depressing because it's creating this environment which is not about challenge, it's about wrapping people in mm. cotton wool, it's turning universities effectively into not not places which are about the free exchange of ideas, all these cliches that we previously told ourselves, yeah. but that is kind of a community of the like-minded mm. and is a, a place in which these vulnerable people can protect themselves from a kind of awful world or whatever. But there's a flip side to that which is viciousness yeah. <laughs> meted out against anyone who refuses to get with the program. Um, I think that viciousness is informed by the misogyny of this movement in large yeah. part. I mean, the vast majority of cases, there's loads of gender critical academics, I'm sure. Um, 
in the vast majority of cases, it's women who get caught up in this. There's mm. a special kind of vitriol reserved for them. Why that's come about, I don't know. But I think it's the one, I don't want to say it's a positive thing, but it's it's demonstrated what um, has been clear to certainly us at Spike for a very long time, which is this is a very serious issue. If you don't take it seriously, it will spread. Yeah. People you like and agree with are going to get caught up in this. And mm. whilst a lot of people didn't really care when it was right-wingers or even the far right who were targeted by no platform, they're seeing now that age-old lesson of censorship, which is you don't even defend that guy yeah. from those kinds of tactics. They will be meted out on you. Why it's, that's happened with the trans issue rather than anything else, I have no idea. But. If you don't stop no platform for fascists, you'll get no platform for feminists. That's what I, mean, I think. I think what the trans, the trans, the reason the trans issue is so hot is because it's it points towards the civil war within liberalism, mm-hmm. and it's you know if I'm a devout Catholic and I say I disagree with trans ideology. Everyone's like, well, of course you would. You're a you're a reactionary. Yeah, yeah. Or you've you're, got all these other horrible but, things. But, but because it's because it's mostly curse, yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's yeah. radical feminists saying, yeah. you know, it's coming from a from a liberal position. That's why the hatred is so mm-hmm. much more intense because it's it's close ideologically. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that makes sense. And 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 Freddie, I mean, you know, America has a First Amendment. I'm sure all of us here would love something, some kind of similar protection uh, in the UK. But it makes no bloody difference on campus. They're just as crazy, if not crazier. You do get this strange, I hate to use the term gaslighting, it's overused, but it is sort of gaslighting when people go, oh, no, you can still say whatever you want. Yeah. You know, or, or no, no, these books aren't being banned. You can still buy them. Yeah. But it's like, well, no, but you're, you're, you're ousting them or you're, or you're trying to condition people into not accepting that, you, that they should be read and things mm. like that. So you, it, it is odd uh, and it is a threat to free speech and, and, and free speech is undoubtedly uh, under threat, yeah, and anybody who pretends it isn't is is mad or um, a bit sinister. It, it does make you think, though. Like, at what point are people going to start wondering why any government funding goes to universities, <laughs> or what point are people going to be thinking to themselves, "Why would I send my child to an institution like mm. this?" Because you know, if you don't have free speech and academic freedom, what do you have? I mean, mm. it's ju- it just becomes like a kind of three year holiday. Yeah. and a massive bill at the end of it. You might get indoctrinated along the way if you're careful. <laughs> I mean, wh- how does that stick up for itself? Now, obviously, people will talk about research and the hard sciences, mm-hmm. although it's creeping in around the edges there. There's oh, absolutely. woke, censorious ideology and all the rest of it. We had a piece this week about how people want to say bones are gender neutral or some such in certain universities. Um, I won't go into that, but you can read about it. So it is creeping in there. But I think particularly in terms of the humanities and the arts and all the rest of it, People are going to start wondering, you know, we've known a lot of these degrees were kind of useless to say yeah. that heretical thing <laughs> these days as far as um, getting a job. That was one justification the universities had for themselves. But there's going to be a certain point in which people are thinking, why are we uh, allowing this to get, you know, why should yeah. we support this? And that's a that's a genuine tragedy. Oh, the it's, universities it's are really important institution, yeah. but this is where it's ended up. And the humanities are absolutely, you know, it's the legacy of our civilization. It's mm. absolutely worth defending. I mean, of course, there's always autoethnography and wanking. That you could <laughs> oh, God. take part in to maybe we should leave it there. That, I don't know what, that, what you're referring to. <laughs> this there, is the case of the man who was, who was doing his PhD essentially in wanking, and not just a PhD in wanking, but wanking to particularly suspect material. I'm not going to say any more no. than that, but it's been a big Twitter story the past 24 hours, and I'm <laughs> delighted that we decided not to talk about it in too I, much detail because it I, makes me feel a little bit sick. But. I, well, let's move on. But I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed. <laughs> I'm ashamed. I've missed it. Actually, I'm quite proud of myself having missed it. <laughs> Obviously, going to look it up immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Spike Podcast. We're back every Friday, and you can now watch us on video too. Check us out on YouTube or go via the Spiked website, which is spiked-online.com. See you next time.